One of my pastors growing up used to tell the story of a young pastor who had just begun his ministry for the first time in any church. He began this ministry, and he was going to preach in that church for the first time as their pastor, and he wanted to do a really good job. So he spent a lot of time on his message. His message was about the second coming of Jesus, and he had worked really hard, and he had memorized that message, and he had planned to start it really dramatically. And so when it came time to start, he got up there and he stepped forward and he said, behold, I come quickly, quoting Jesus. And then his mind went blank. He couldn't remember what he was going to say next. And so after a few seconds of sheer panic, he remembered that in seminary, what they had said to do in situations like this was to repeat the last sentence you had just said, and you might uh, be helped to remember what you were supposed to say. And so he decided to give it a try. And so he stepped back again, and then he stepped forward, and he said, behold, I come quickly. Still nothing. So he stepped back again, and he stepped forward again, and he said, behold, I come quickly. But that time he kind of stumbled and he knocked over the stand next to him and he fell into the lap of an elderly woman sitting in the front row. I didn't mean to motion to you when I said elderly woman, Lisa, sorry about that. <laughs> but he fell into the lap of an elderly woman in the front row and he was so embarrassed and he was worried that he had hurt her and so he apologized profusely and uh, he asked her if she was okay and uh, she said, it's all right, young man, it really is my fault. I should have gotten out of the way. After all, you warned us three times that you were coming. <laughs> well, for the last three weekends, we've been looking at the unexpected events that happened in the last hours before Jesus' death. But today, we move from the last hours of his life to something that happened Sunday after Jesus had died on the cross on Friday. And it shouldn't have taken them by surprise but it did. The surprise began about daybreak on Sunday morning when a group of women go to the tomb that Jesus had been buried in, and they were taking spices, as the kids told us, to properly take care of Jesus's body for burial. And what they find when they get to the tomb is unexpected. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 24. It's one of the accounts written by people at the time of Jesus about what happened that day. I'll start with verse 2. When they found the stone rolled away from the entrance, they went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, and they did not know what to think. Suddenly, two men in shining white clothes stood beside them, and the women were afraid, and they bowed down to the ground. Now, according to Luke 24, the women go there, the tomb is empty, and they see two angels. And these two angels, according to the verses that come next, tell us, tell these women that Jesus isn't there, that Jesus has risen from the dead. And the women are surprised by that. They're shocked by that. That was unexpected. But they run back and they tell the other followers of Jesus. And then look what happens next, starting with verse 9. When they returned, they told the 11 apostles and the others what had happened. The apostles thought it was all nonsense and they would not believe. So not only 
are the other followers of Jesus taken by surprise that the tomb is empty, but they don't believe the story that Jesus has risen from the dead. They think that the story that the women are telling is nonsense, or at least most of them do. It isn't in your notes, but we read in John chapter 20, another eyewitness account of this event, and there we read that Peter and John run to the tomb to check on what the women said. Now, Luke doesn't mention John going, but look at what he says in verse 12. But Peter ran to the tomb, and when he stooped down and looked in, he saw only the burial clothes. Then he returned, wondering what had happened. So Peter and John confirm that the body of Jesus isn't there. And Luke says that Peter was still wondering what had happened. Now, there are some other things that happened. A couple of them we'll read about it later in the message, but the, Jesus himself will appear to a few people, and they will see him and talk to him, and then they will go back and relate this to the group of followers. And in fact, look at what happens while a couple of the witnesses who saw Jesus are reporting that they've seen Jesus alive again. Start with verse 36. While Jesus' disciples were talking about what happened, Jesus appeared and greeted them. They were frightened and terrified because they thought they were seeing a ghost. Incredible. They have now been told by several different people that Jesus has come back to life. And when Jesus himself appears in the room with them alive, they're still surprised. They're still frightened. They think that they're seeing a ghost. So Jesus' resurrection, him coming back to life, was totally unexpected by his closest friends and his followers. They were just totally shocked. But this should not have been unexpected. The fact that he would come back to life three days after dying was a consistent part of Jesus' teaching. In fact, his enemies, his enemies had heard it clearly. They had heard it clearly. Look at what happened the day after Jesus died on the cross, according to another eyewitness, Matthew, uh, looking at Matthew 27. On the next day, which was the Sabbath, the chief priests and the Pharisees went together to Pilate. They said, sir, we remember what that liar said while he was still alive. He claimed that in three days he would come back from death. So please order the tomb to be carefully guarded for three days. If you don't, his disciples may come and steal his body then they will tell people that he has raised to life, and this last lie will be worse than the first one. So the Jewish religious leaders had heard Jesus say that he would rise again after three days, and they were concerned enough about it to post a guard at the tomb. But apparently the closest followers of Jesus had completely missed it because Jesus rising from the dead was totally unexpected it was a surprise to them. Now, how could that happen? Well, I think part of the problem was a theological one. You see, they had a wrong understanding, a wrong belief about resurrection. Resurrection at that time was understood by many to be something that God would do, but it was something they thought God would do at the end of time for all people who had followed God who were righteous for all of the righteous dead. In essence, to them, it meant 
giving new embodiment to everyone from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob down to the most recent religious martyrs. They believed that the resurrection would be a one-time, large-scale event. And if it's true that that's what they believed, we shouldn't be surprised how surprised they were. It wasn't just a lack of faith that had stopped them from understanding what Jesus had said about rising again. It was simply that nobody ever dreamed it would happen that way. Nobody ever dreamed that one single person would be unquestionably killed, and they knew that Jesus had been, and then that that one person would be raised to a new sort of bodily life a few days later while the rest of the world just continued on as it always had, while the rest of the world just went on as usual. And so it may have been a theological problem for some, but the truth is some who heard him say it just didn't believe it was possible. They just didn't believe it was possible, even some of his followers. I, I think some were surprised when they got to the tomb because they knew that dead people stay dead. They knew that dead people stay dead. In other words, they probably had all heard him say it. They just didn't believe that it would really happen, at least not the way it did happen. But this unexpected event, Jesus walking out of the tomb alive again, changed everything. I mean, it completely changes their lives. It completely changes their theology. And it even changes history. So I'm wondering if some of the things that changed their life and their theology might change our lives today. I believe that our personal lives and our personal history can be positively impacted by the fact that Jesus walked out of the tomb alive again. At the very least, it might change our outlook on what's going on in your world right now. Let me spend the rest of the time we have left pointing out three unexpected things that we learn from these events surrounding Jesus' coming back to life. One of the first things that we learn is this. Jesus shows up when we aren't expecting him. Jesus shows up when we aren't expecting him. Luke 24 tells us about two guys who had followed Jesus. I mean, they had followed him. They had traveled with him. They had sacrificed for him. They had believed in him. And then they saw him die. And now they were so discouraged that they apparently decided to just go home. They decided to just go home. Look at Luke 24, start with verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' disciples were going to the village of Emmaus, which is, was about, a seven mile, or about seven miles from Jerusalem. As they were talking and thinking about what had happened, Jesus came near and started walking along beside them but they did not know who he was. They don't recognize Jesus, but he's walking with them. And they're talking about all of the events that have happened. And Jesus says to them, what is it that you're talking about? And they seem surprised. They say, well, you might be the only guy in Jerusalem that doesn't know about what's happened. And they begin to tell Jesus about what happened 
to Jesus. They still don't recognize him. And so they tell Jesus about how Jesus was arrested and how he was beaten and how he was crucified and how he died. And then they say, we were really hoping that this was the Messiah. We were really hoping that this was the hope for our lives, the rescuer that God had promised to send. And Jesus, while they're walking, begins to teach them from the Old Testament, and he shows them that the rescuer of God would have to suffer and would have to die, and then he would rise again, and they still don't recognize him. They get to their home, and they invite Jesus to come in and spend the night with them, and they prepare a meal, and look at what happens next. After Jesus sat down to eat, he took some bread, and he blessed it and broke it, then he gave it to them. At once, they knew who he was, but he disappeared. Jesus showed up when they didn't expect it. And after he disappears from their midst, they go running back to Jerusalem to tell the others what they had seen. A similar thing happened to Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus's followers. Mary was in that group of women that went early and found the empty tomb. She was with them when they go and tell the others they had seen that the tomb was empty. And then she watches as Peter and John leave the room to go to the tomb. And it appears that Mary probably followed Peter and John to the tomb. And she's there with them. And when they leave, she seems to stay. And she's grieved and she's upset because she feels so alone and she feels so confused. She doesn't know what happened. And um, then she sees some angels while she's crying and while she's in despair because she just wants to be with Jesus. And she tells the angels, they have taken my Lord's body and I don't know where they've put him. And John tells us what happens next in John 20. As soon as Mary said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know who he was. Jesus asked her, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she thought he was the gardener and said, sir, if you have taken his body away, please tell me so I can go and get him. Then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and she said to him, Rabani. The Aramaic word Rabani means teacher. You see, she was feeling so alone. Her emotions were probably all over the place. The angels had said that Jesus had risen, but the followers of Jesus who uh, she trusted and respected told her that that was nonsense and that she was just imagining it. And so she's at the tomb again and she's distraught and she's grief stricken and she's feeling alone and she's just wanting to be with Jesus. And Jesus shows up. Because Jesus shows up when we don't expect it, but when we need him. Can I tell you, that can happen to you today. That can happen to you today and at other times when you need him. Jesus shows up when you aren't expecting him, but when you need him the most. When you're overwhelmed by life and problems, the quiet presence of Jesus can just give you peace in the midst of your problems. And when you're struggling for answers and you just don't know what to do, Jesus can show up in the wisdom of a friend who speaks truth to you or words that you hear spoken or that you read from Scripture. 
And sometimes you, sh- you end up in a church full of people because it's Easter and because it's the thing to do or because you promised your grandma or your mom. And Jesus shows up. He shows up and he speaks to you through a song or through a message. But here's an important life-changing truth this Easter. He is present when we feel alone. He's present when we feel alone. Even when we feel like no one knows, even when we feel like no one cares, when we feel like no one really understands, Jesus is there with us. He's present with us. He shows up when we aren't expecting him to. There's a second truth that I want you to hear today, and that's Jesus keeps promises we don't expect him to. Jesus keeps promises we don't expect him to. Those people who went home to Emmaus, they're back in Jerusalem now, and they're telling the others that they had seen Jesus. And it's while they're telling their story that Jesus showed up in the room. That's when they thought he was a ghost. But look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 24. We'll start with verse 38. But Jesus said, why are you so frightened? Why do you doubt? Skipping down to verse 44, Jesus said to them, While I was still with you, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the book of the prophets, and in the Psalms had to happen. Then he helped them understand the scriptures. He told them, the scriptures say that the Messiah must suffer, then three days later he will rise from death. Now, I guess in all of the appearances, every time that Jesus appears to someone and tells them that he's risen from the dead, he has one basic message. And here's his message when he walks out of the tomb alive again. I told you so. I told you so. I promised that I would rise again, and I did. Jesus seems honestly surprised that they're surprised. He's surprised that they're surprised. He thinks that they should have known that it was going to happen because he promised them that it would. And Jesus keeps his promises even when we don't expect him to. And they didn't expect him to. I mean, if they understood at all that he had promised to come back to life, they don't expect him to keep that promise because it just seemed too impossible. I mean, they'd seen his brutalized body on the cross. They'd seen him die. They had lived since Friday with the grief that he was gone. They were totally discouraged because it just seemed too impossible to think that he would live again or that he could live again. But here's an important life-changing truth. He is dependable when we feel discouraged. He's dependable when we feel discouraged. And that's important because I suspect that some of you were discouraged today just like the followers of Jesus were discouraged that day. And you might be waiting for Jesus to work. You might be waiting for Jesus to do something in your life and, and you just aren't sure that he will. I mean, what is it that Jesus has promised to do that you don't expect him to do? I mean, maybe you're waiting for wisdom. You've prayed for it. You've asked for it. And he promises to give you wisdom. Or maybe you're praying for strength and for help so that you can overcome that sin habit that you keep feeling trapped by. And he promises that he will give you strength. And 
maybe you've convinced yourself that Jesus just won't do that, that this is the time he won't keep that promise. He won't keep that promise because it just seems impossible. But he is dependable when we feel discouraged. And Jesus keeps his promises. He keeps the promises we don't expect him to keep. My friends, Jesus' tomb was empty, but his promises weren't. Jesus' tomb was empty, but his promises were not empty promises. He keeps his promises. Lastly, Jesus gives victory when we don't expect it. He gives victory when we don't expect it. You know, one of the interesting things is you read all of the uh, writings by eyewitnesses about Jesus' resurrection and about the time from when he died on Friday till the time that they were convinced he rose again. It's interesting how thoroughly defeated everyone thought Jesus was. Everyone thought Jesus was thoroughly defeated. I mean, his followers thought that. They thought Jesus was defeated. I mean, they'd seen him die on the cross and it just totally messed up their expectations. I mean, all of their hopes had been dashed by Jesus' death and they thought that he was so defeated that they were hiding They were literally behind locked doors in an upper room. And uh, if they did go out, they were sneaking around because they were waiting to be arrested. They really thought that the Roman guards and uh, that the Jewish religious leaders would come for them next, that they would be arrested and that they might even be executed next. And they thought Jesus was completely defeated. And the religious leaders and the Romans thought that he was defeated. They actually thought that their problem was solved. They had seen Jesus die, and they thought that that had sealed their power, that it had protected their position. They were probably high-fiving each other and smiling and celebrating. And Satan really thought that he had won. Satan really thought that God had been defeated. He thought that he had pulled one over on God, that he had defeated God, that he had won the battle. And I'm sure Friday and Saturday were days of celebration for Satan because he really thought he was one, that he had won. Now, while I was thinking about this and thinking about the religious leaders and Satan, thinking that they had won, it caused me to think of something else. Have you ever thought that you... One, when it turned out that you had lost. Have you ever thought that? I remember it from about the time I was in sixth grade, I developed a crush on a girl in our church youth group. Her name was Linda Clark, and she was easy on the eyes. <laughs> she was a year behind me in school, but we'd known each other most of our lives, and I had this crush on Linda, and uh, it was when I was in the eighth grade that I got up the nerve and on a phone call, I said, I like you. (laughs) Because that's what we said, you know, back then. And she said, I like you too. And I remember hanging up the phone and I had this stupid grin on my face, you know. I was smiling this real, and acting weird and bizarre. And, you know, I was really happy because I had this really hot girlfriend. And, you know, I, for 24 hours, I thought I had a girlfriend. <laughs> but then the next night, we went to youth group. And I noticed that she kind of rushed in and she sat between two of her friends. There was no chair for me. And... I was a little disappointed in that, you know, because I thought we like each other, you know. 
But I kind of fixed that when it was time to go home. We were riding home together, and I kind of pushed my way in to sit next to her in the car on the way home. And when the car pulled out, you know, it was kind of dark. I reached over to hold her hand, and she went like this. She ripped that hand away from me so fast, and I didn't know what was going on. And then when she got out at her house, she handed me this note, and she ran up to her house. And guys, you know what the note said. I just want to be friends. <laughs> now, can I just say on the behalf of teenage boys everywhere, we don't want any friends. <laughs> We aren't looking for friends. I just want to be friends. I thought I had won, but I had lost. And the religious leaders, I think, had that silly grin on their face, and Satan did too. They thought they had won, and then Jesus walks out of the grave alive again, and they know that they have lost. And not lost just a little, They've lost big time. And the followers of Jesus who thought they were losers are suddenly winners. I mean, they thought their life was over, but it was just beginning. And Jesus would use them in bigger and better ways than they had ever dreamed. And the same can be true of you and me. The same can be true for us. Look at these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I will explain a mystery to you. Not every one of us will die, but we will all be changed. It will happen suddenly, quicker than the blink of an eye. At the sound of the last trumpet, the dead will be raised. We will all be changed so that we will never die again. Our dead and decaying bodies will change into bodies that won't die or decay. The bodies we now have are weak and can die, but they will be changed into bodies that are eternal. Then the scripture will come true. Death has lost the battle. Where is its victory? Where is its sting? Sin is what gives death its sting. And the law is the power behind sin. But thank God for letting our Lord Jesus Christ give us the victory. Here's the life-changing truth of Easter. He gives life when we feel dead. He gives life when we feel dead because Jesus walked out of the tomb alive again. If you trust in him and you follow him, you can have new life too. Jesus brings dead things back to life. He gives us victory when we feel like losers and he gives us life when we feel dead. He can bring life to a marriage that feels dead. He can give you life when you feel like there's nothing worth living for. He can resurrect your self-esteem when you are uh, convinced that you are worthless. Jesus gives life when we feel dead. But I want to conclude by saying something else that I think is pretty important. If you believe this, if you have trusted Jesus to save you, if you have given yourself to him fully, Easter also puts a demand on you. Easter puts a demand on us. The demand is this. It means that we have to begin to live like people who have life. We have to begin to live like people who have life. We tend to think that, you know, we're dying a little more each day. 
We tend to believe that as we get older, we're just dying a little more each year, that we're moving towards the eventuality of death. As we get older, we move a little slower and we struggle a little bit more. But if we're trusting in Jesus, though our physical bodies are weak and moving towards death, through Jesus we have life. Through Jesus we have eternal life. Folks, I might not look like it, but this body is moving towards life, not death. I have far more years ahead of me than behind me. Jesus died and rose to give me life, life to the fullest here and life forever in heaven. And Easter demands that I live out the fact that I have life. It demands that I live now like a person who has the promise and assurance of eternal life and joy in heaven forever with him. My body might be dying, but I'm not. I'm not. And I am determined to live the rest of my years here with the attitude and assurance that this isn't all there is that this isn't the best that's going to be, not even close. So that's my challenge to you. Today, claim the victory of Jesus. Claim the victory that Jesus has given to you. Trust the promise that he will give you life forever if you trust in him to save you. Trust that you are not alone, that he will show up and give you comfort and strength, that he's present even when you don't expect him to be. Claim life now. Claim life now. And if you're here and you aren't sure that you have that promise of life. If you haven't committed yourself to him, let us help you. If you have questions, go, go to the Next Step Canopy after the service today and people will talk with you and they will help you and they'll minister to you. Or you can talk to me. I'll be on the turf field after the service. Or you can talk to any of our leaders. Just make sure that you claim that prize that Jesus died and then rose again to give you. Claim that this Easter. And some of you might be ready. We have had a few that have told us that they want to be baptized this weekend. As Bill said, we've already had three baptized. And I don't know if there's anyone else. I don't know that there's anyone else that's thinking about it. But maybe you are. Maybe you are ready today, and I would be honored to help you today. I mean, we have clothes, we have towels, the water's warm, and we're ready. If today is the day that you want to be baptized so that you can die to who you used to be and be raised to life with Jesus, you can meet me over there where that light's going up the wall over by the end of the ramp, and we'll make sure that happens today in this service. And so... When we start singing the next song, if you want to move there and you want to be baptized, just move over towards the end of the ramp and I'll meet you there. But let's pray together, shall we? Father, would you forgive us for living like we're dying rather than claiming the life that you have given to us? Father, thank you so much that when we need him most, Jesus shows up. Thank you, Father, that he is with us, that he's present in our lives, even when we feel alone. And Father, we thank you so much that you keep your promises, that Jesus keeps his promises to us. And Father, we thank you that in a world where it seems like nobody can be counted on, that you are dependable when we feel discouraged. And Father, thank you so much that 
when Jesus won that victory by walking out of the tomb alive again, that he shares that victory with us, that he gives us life even when we feel dead. And Father, right now I pray that you will help each person here to claim life. Father, some may need to ask some questions. Some may need to uh, die to their old life and be raised to walk with you in baptism. And Father, I pray that you will give each person the courage just to take a step towards you today. And we will give you the glory. Thank you for the victory in Jesus. Amen.